This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of $15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Are you tired of the endless stream of fantasy marketing and vanity metrics? Yeah, so am I. My name is James Patrick, and I'm an internationally published photographer, media specialist, and marketing strategist. I'm also a student of professional development, and like you, I've been left frustrated by all of this influencer-driven generic advice making us think that we are just one course, conference, or manifestation away from the life of our dreams. We need to cut through this crap and move beyond the posturing, beyond the facade, beyond the image to take real action on the real work that will create the real results. This is the Beyond the Image podcast. My guest today is Lexi Romano. She is the host and founder of the Phoenix Finds show. Lexi, how are you doing today? I'm great. I literally like your theme music started playing and I was like, ba that was great. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad I'm glad because we're I'm trying I'm trying a different approach to the production here. I have I feel like I have to show up because this is your this is your genre. This is what you do. You, you are all things video. Um, I'd love let's let's dive into your background a little bit, you know, before we get into what you're working on now with Phoenix Finds. Uh, what was it that kind of got you interested in working in news, working in, in broadcast, working in video to begin with? You know, I actually come from a performance background. I am um, I was a singer and a performer in New York City. And that was what I did uh, for years and years and years all through my 20s. And when I moved here to Arizona, I really wanted to get into more on camera work, more video work. And it is a tough world to break into, I will be honest. Mm -hmm. And so my husband actually had the idea of why don't you start your own show and just start creating content, putting it out there, see if anybody wants to watch it. And so that was kind of why we started Phoenix Finds, the impetus behind it. But what it also was, was an opportunity for me not being a native Phoenician to get to know the city, to get to know people here, to kind of explore. And it really opened up the city of Phoenix for me and just kind of the whole metro area, not just the city of Phoenix, but the whole metro area of Phoenix in that I wouldn't have otherwise found these places. I wouldn't have otherwise visited these little shops or met these owners or discovered these brands. So it's been it was kind of built out of necessity and now has become something that I really love and I'm so passionate about. You know, it's interesting, uh, this, this statement of, well, why don't you just start your own? And, you know, there was a time when someone said, well, I, I would love to be a, you know, a, a columnist and says, well, why don't you just start your own blog? And uh, that seemed at some point foreign and, and very, very novel. Until it became ubiquitous, and then um, 
there was a time where someone says, you know, I'd, I'd be a great radio host. And says, well, why don't you start your own podcast? And that too, there was, there was a time when that seemed unlikely and seemed right. very impossible to do. And I feel like having your own show, like your own video show or television show, that was kind of the last stand of there are gatekeepers that control what this is and very finite numbers of gatekeepers. There's only a certain number of channels on, on a cable that one could get access to and to campaign yourself to, to get on air with these is, it seems insurmountable. So to start your own show seems like, well, how is that even, how is that even remotely a thing? And all of a sudden you kind of get in right when this is becoming something before really before people start recognizing online video as a legitimate show. Right. So, so the thing is, it's incredible because even just 20 years ago, maybe even just 10 years ago, this isn't something that you could have done, right? There wasn't the knowledge out there. There wasn't, we didn't have as many videos on YouTube kind of teaching you how to do this, kind of walking you through any of those things that you just mentioned, starting a blog, if you are a writer, um, you know, starting a podcast, if you are somebody who is, you want to be a host, a radio host. You you think you have a lot to say and a lot to add to the conversation. And then especially with video. Now, I personally love all of the mediums that you just said, but for me, video is something that not only accesses the brain and your, you know, you're listening, but you're also, it's so visual, right? You're seeing something in front of you. And so the putting together a video, there are so many elements. I mean, when you're writing a blog, you have to have all of the words ready to go. So that's what we do as well. We write a script, have to have all the information. You also have to be able to hear everything. The audio is such a big part of this. Um, one of my biggest pet peeves is a video that has bad audio. So that's something that we really stress as well. And then lastly, the visual component of it obviously is the biggest thing. You want it to look beautiful. You want it to be seamless. You want the lighting to be good. You want the environment to be inviting and welcoming. So it's a lot of different aspects and it almost kind of incorporates all of those different things that you just said. So it's a big deal and it's a lot of work, but you know what? It's, I think, one of the most gratifying things to see a video become something where there was once nothing. Now you have this beautiful video that you can look at and other people can enjoy and watch and learn from. And it's, it's a really cool thing. And it has been a lot of work and it's not something that we were doing right away or at least doing well. It took a long time. It took a lot of work. It took a lot of learning and exploring. And so it's a long journey, <laughs> but it's been great. I've loved it. I'm curious your your opinions on the approach to viewability of, of videos, because one of the things I learned recently, and this, I, I absolutely love learning this was that one of the top growing audiences for YouTube was people accessing through a smart TV. Mm -hmm. And this, this means, you know, compared to let's say a mobile device, which will have a much more measurable attention span. Mm -hmm. If someone's accessing someone via TV, there's a assumption that they're going to be comfortable with a longer form of content and that they're going to invest more time and energy into consuming this content versus maybe a quick interaction on a mobile device. Um, has this impacted at all how you're creating content and distributing content? You know, that's a great question. And that's really interesting because that is something that I find myself doing. 
I will sit down in front of my TV. And again, this is something maybe we didn't have access to even just a couple years ago. I will put on YouTube and I will sit down and watch, say it's Architectural Digest. And I watch their Open Door series. And I absolutely love watching that because it is like a show. And so that's what we do is that we create something that is a show for people to view in the way that people used to sit down and scroll on cable. They used to sit and our show is on TV, but we really focus more on our digital audience. So it is there for people who want to sit down and watch something that's more of a couch show, watch something that's more of a lifestyle show. And so our segments are a little bit longer than something you would consume, you know, on your phone, um, which if you're sitting there scrolling through TikTok, what is that? A couple minutes, a minute, maybe. Mm-hmm. Our segments are meant specifically for you to be able to sit down, consume something that's a little bit more of an interview style, and it has a little bit more of that visual component that you're really going to take in. It's not just somebody on TikTok talking for 30 seconds to a minute. They are meant to be consumed in, in larger chunks and in larger portions. And that's something we really pride ourselves on is making a story out of it. It's not just a quick little tidbit. It's not one little photo. It's something that's a little bit longer. We're going to take the audience on a journey with us. I'm really glad uh, you brought that up because one of the things that I've really been spending a lot of time focusing on is how we are using these different platforms and Mm -hmm. the best way that we can create a connection with an audience on these specific platforms. And I do believe there was a time when Instagram was an appropriate platform to do more enriching and longer form content. But I don't think that time is anymore. I think every mm-hmm. year that this this app has existed, the attention span has gotten shorter and shorter and shorter. And now it's become incredibly difficult, if not impossible, to do everything that would need to be done to introduce yourself, to develop or to deliver value-driven content, to build trust and rapport, to potentially onboard uh, prospects and the clients. The -hmm. attention span, I just feel, is so short. And that's why to have a secondary platform or app or destination, like a podcast or like your own channel, all of a sudden, this is creating a place to have a deeper connection with your Mm -hmm. audience, to have that 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 next layer where you can have something that is longer form mm-hmm. um and an added bonus for what you're creating is i guess two parts one is that you know hosting so much on youtube being that it's a search engine but also they never go away there's there's not really a shelf life for right. any of these videos and mm-hmm. contrast that to let's say instagram or or snapchat or tiktok or anything like that there is no shelf life and it's not indexed. It's not searchable. Um, have there been ways that you've really leaned into the long form content, or excuse me, the long tail content and the, the index ability of your content? Um, you know, I don't know that I have delved that deep into that. I mean, when it comes to a digital platform, it is all about the SEO, it is all about getting people there, like you said, to that separate, that kind of secondary location platform. And what what I will say that I've done a lot of research on is that once you get them there, you're usually going to be able to keep them there for a little bit longer. So if you have great quality content, if it's something that is 
enjoyable. People want to watch, people want to read, people want to hear, they want to look at whatever your content platform is. If you can get them to that second location, like you were saying, take them from TikTok or take them from Instagram to your website, to your YouTube, to your podcast, they're going to stay there because I know for me, that's what I do. If I take the time to go to someone's YouTube, I'm going to scroll and I'm going to watch multiple videos. I'm, I'm not just going to watch 30 seconds of one and go back to Instagram. I'm going to stay there and I'm going to spend some time there. So getting them there is one thing. Then keeping them there, I think, is the quality of your content. If your content is good, if it's engaging, entertaining, then people are going to stay and then people are going to invest. So Instagram, TikTok, even Facebook still are great catalysts to get them to that secondary location. But I think once you get them there, you have to have good content to keep them there, you know? I would absolutely agree with that. And I, I kind of look at a lot of these platforms as the digital handshake and the invitation to take that next step where you can have a deeper connection um, with, with something that is a little bit longer form or more enriching yeah. or has the chance to build more of that trust and rapport. For sure. One of the things you mentioned kind of at the top of it was that you started to do this and maybe it wasn't great at first, <laughs> but- you kept doing it. So a big hang up, especially for a lot of people listening to the show is, well, I'm going to film a lot of videos. And like, I have a client right now who is uh, in the process of launching a podcast and they recorded a bunch of episodes. And I was asking about the process and they were like, well, you know, a few of them were good. One of them I'm not so sure about, you know, I might want to re-record it. And my advice was I'd probably just publish it. Because one, it's always going to be not as great. Like you will do nothing but improve. There's no, no improving from perfect. Okay. You have to, you have to have something. And two, unless you put something out, you're not ever going to get feedback from your audience about what works and what doesn't work. It's all Mm -hmm. in your head. It's your opinion. Mm -hmm. Um, What was some of the things you had to do to kind of develop that inner confidence to be able to release content, even if you yourself at the time, and maybe you didn't know, and maybe this is just hindsight now that the show's better and more, more refined and more produced. And you're like, Oh, wow. Look at what we used to like. I, when I think about my old podcast episodes from 10 years ago, I thought I was the shit 10 years ago. I'm like, what <laughs> I do? And now I'm like, what was I thinking? That was terrible. Right. So, so what was like, is it something that you had to kind of deal with some imposter syndrome or did you just know that you had to kind of push through that? I'm curious your, your navigation with that. Um, you know, kind of both. And, um, I definitely am not a perfectionist. And while I have incredible respect for people who are are perfectionists, my husband is a perfectionist and I see his attention to detail and how he's always striving for excellence. I see that as something that I want to do. I want to be more like that. However, If you are constantly striving for this perfect, excellent level, sometimes you get so hung up on that, you don't do anything at all. So for me, not being a perfectionist has actually been helpful in this because there have been times when I looked at the videos, you know, that that we were producing. And look, I don't ever want to give off the impression that I thought something was bad because I am proud of the work that we're doing. But there have been times when I looked at it and thought, could that cut be a little bit cleaner? Could we have moved that? Or could the sound have been a little bit better? But it's like, you know what? 
I have to just put it out. I have to put it out and let it be what it is. And so not having that perfection, excellent, always going to be 100%, 10 out of 10, the perfect video quality edit, everything's amazing. Sometimes letting things go has been the key to keeping going, keeping the momentum going. And it's, it's also looking back and going, oh, wow, I thought that was good. Okay, I'm glad we've grown. I'm glad we have, uh, have gotten to a different level here because you do have to start somewhere. Everybody starts somewhere, right? No one can start being an expert at something. So having a little bit of grace with yourself, your past self and your current self, and knowing you can learn and you can grow that's also, I think, something that's that's been key for me is being able to look back at those videos from three years ago and go, maybe I didn't know as much as I thought I knew, but that's okay because I know that now. And I see how ready I was to get to the next level, the next level, the next level. But if I hadn't started at that first level, I wouldn't know what I needed to do to get to the next level and the next level. And so that learning process is incredibly valuable and you should never beat yourself up for where you are, where you're starting. We all start from somewhere, you know? Yeah. I think that's, that really just hits the nail on the head. You cannot even fathom what, what needs to be adjusted or right. refined or, or improved upon until you're in process and you can kind of like, and I think so much of seeing, like, especially when we look back in hindsight is the gift of hindsight itself. Right. To be able to say, well, wow, now I know what it's like to do this now versus, you know, what I knew back then. And, you know, the difference is, is, you know, how long have you been doing your show? So it's crazy. It'll be four years this four years. summer. So yeah, we're almost, we're, we're approaching four years. So if you were to hold back this idea for four years to learn everything you know now by practicing and by reading right. books and by watching blogs and videos and all this stuff, that's four years of content that never would have been created, four years of content that never would have been served, four years of content mm -hmm. that never would have built relationships or, or created uh, business opportunities. It's four years of being on pause. Right. And I do believe that as much as we want to put forth a lot of quality in our work, mm -hmm. that as long as that effort's there, I think most of our audience is going to forgive or not even notice the things that, that we might obsess over. Right. Like I might obsess over, I don't know, like looking at this video that we're setting up now, I might obsess over the fact that, you know, the logo's covered up and it's not actually legible. I'm like, you know what? Maybe the next time I do this, I'm going to re-edit this backdrop and have the logo appear, you know, in, in maybe a little tile. So it's a little sure. bit easier for, for viewers to see. Um, but I would, I've never even used this platform before to record right. a podcast. So learning in real time. And we're just literally having to make it work and figuring things out as we go. And the audience, as long as you're delivering what the audience wants, I think they'll overlook a lot of the smaller things. I think so too. And you know, what a great point that like, if you just waited till you knew everything, till you felt like you were comfortable, that's all of that content, all of that 
production that wouldn't have happened. And while I am a huge proponent, I'm a huge fan of going to school to learn. If that is what you want to do and that's going to be good for you, go to school and learn. But you know what? I thought a lot about going back to school to get my master's in journalism. And I decided to not because I don't have a degree in journalism. I have a, an undergraduate degree in English literature. I like to read. That's I thought it was a great idea when I was 18. And um, if I had gone back, that would have been two years where I wasn't doing the show, where I wasn't, like you said, creating the relationships and creating the content. And yes, I would have learned a lot. But you know what? I feel like I have learned a lot doing doing the thing doing it, being here and making it happen. And I've made mistakes along the way. But I think when you're in it and there's more on the line, you learn maybe faster. You learn maybe for the, the rest of your life. And it really sits with you when you make a mistake and you're out in the field and you are doing the thing. You do not forget that mistake. If someone tells you, don't do this thing, and you read it in a book or you see it on a you know YouTube video or a podcast or whatever, it probably will sit with you, but it won't be in you the way it is when you make that mistake yourself while you are doing the thing. You will never forget that. You will never forget that again. I, I'm thinking back a very painful memory. My first photo job, I wasn't... This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. I wasn't a photographer when I got my first photo job. I was a journalist and mm. I was working at a newspaper. And for whatever reason, the publisher decided to take me out of the reporter pool and put me into the photographer pool. He could have loved my photos or he could have hated my writing. Unclear. <laughs> um, but one the of the first, two. yeah, one of the two. The first issue, I sh the, the photo I shot ended up on the front page of the, of the paper. Wow. And I remember the postmortem after the the issue came out and all the staff members are sitting around and the publisher holds up the paper and says, you know, uh, a one photo, which is page one, uh, section a for, for those who have never read a newspaper, um, excellent photo by James Patrick, excellent photo. And so I'm just totally, you know, thinking my shit doesn't stink. Uh, next assignment, I go out, I shoot a photo. Uh, it lands on, I don't know, like C 15, like it's buried in the paper. Uh, -huh. uh postmortem comes around, same publisher stands up, holds up the paper, uh, you know, C17 photo by James Patrick. And I'm just like, I'm getting ready. Mm -hmm. I'm ready. Bring all the praise. Yeah. Terrible photo, James. Oh, terrible gosh. photo. <laughs> and he was right. It was a terrible photo. I totally yeah. mailed it in. It was, it was not a good shot. Yeah. And, but it printed, it ran with my name under it. That's a published photo with my name under it. And it's terrible. And that that is in the National Archives. Uh, those newspapers get forever uh, saved. And so that terrible photo will have my name on it for eternity. Now, has this negatively impacted my career? No, because I learned not to publish shitty photos. Right. Um, you know, I learned my lesson. 
you know, that was that because was my slap on the wrist. That that moment, that shame, and, and you know, shame is maybe a strong word, but that just moment of kind of embarrassment and uncomfortability and the you will never forget that. Mm-hmm. Whatever was wrong with the photo, who knows what it was. You were like, I'm never going to do that again. Like, mm-hmm. that's never happening again. Because it will sit, that feeling will sit with you forever. And you will never do that again. So there's something about learning on the job that is invaluable in a way that you, you cannot get that from reading it in a book. Mm-hmm. And nothing against learning before you go there's you should prepare you should absolutely prepare and that's obviously one of the main components of doing anything but there's nothing like learning from experience and it just I don't know it just serves you in a different way being that we were all journalists we had this expression for those of us who graduated college who got jobs and were fairly successful versus those who kind of floundered uh, yeah. post post uh, education. And in the statement, I mean, it was just on the nose for being a journalist was, oh, he could read a textbook, but he can't read a newspaper. Like oh. he can handle academia. Right. He's, he's cut like, and we had a friend uh, who we graduated with who, you know, outperformed all of us in school. And I think he was selling vacuum cleaners um, thereafter. You know, he eventually found his way, but he struggled for for a bit. And it was it was that it was that thing of he was comfortable in the in the safety of an educational environment, but when mm-hmm. he had to be put into the real world and, and real scenarios, it, it became a lot more difficult. Um, you know, one of the things you mentioned as as you've kind of been learning this process is it's not just about creating content, but it, it's about figuring out how that content can be seen. And you've had to get resourceful in how you're how you're marketing the content and the SEO of the content. What are some of the things that you've seen over the last four years that help a video stand out and actually gain traffic and momentum? You know, it's funny. And I think anybody who deals with YouTube a lot, um, because what blows up on you know, Instagram or social media is completely different than what blows up on, say, a, a YouTube or even, you know, for me, I do a lot of stuff with with TV and it's different the things that people remember from different platforms. Um, I think with YouTube and with SEO, um, the best thing that you can do is do the research beforehand on what people are looking at. I mean, I have some videos that I think the videography is incredible. The person we were interviewing was amazing on camera. They knew what they were talking about. They love what they do. And it doesn't blow up. No one, a few people watch it and they see it on social media and they see it on on TV. But on YouTube, it doesn't blow up. And it really is a specific phrasing of a title, of a description of the the profile, like the thumbnail photo, YouTube is so specific and the algorithm is so unique that if you don't do that research, you're not gonna have success with it. And even when you do, sometimes you can be super smart about how you title it. You can be super smart about how you market it and it still just doesn't quite catch the attention. So it's kind of an elusive platform. It's kind of an elusive 
like algorithm to understand, but it's really interesting. And it's been a cool journey for me doing more and more on, because we started Phoenix Finds was just on social media. We would put all of our videos on Instagram and Facebook, let people consume them as they like. And then that was what we did. And then we moved it to YouTube and then we moved it to TV. And TV is another completely different animal, but YouTube has been a very interesting platform to traverse and kind of figure out. So still learning that one, still still figuring that one out. And I think even people who are TikTok, you know, or uh, excuse me, are YouTube stars and they have so many subscribers and people, hundreds of thousands of people watch their videos. I don't think even they can pinpoint for you what it is about, about YouTube. It's, it's, it's elusive, but it's, it's interesting. Yeah. It's been fun to learn. Yeah. Literally before we were um, recording this episode, I was working on an article and at the start of the article uh, I'm writing about in 21 years, I've created three pieces of content that have gone viral. That's one every seven years. And I feel like that's a better batting average than most. Yeah. Um, And, you know, cumulatively, like I'm talking maybe close to a million total impressions between these, mm-hmm. these three pieces of content. Um, now let's correlate this to how much money did this translate for me? Yeah. And when I really look at it and I add up all these numbers, um, it equated to about $0 of, <laughs> of revenue for me. Oops. Um, because yeah, the, my content was going viral and it's being you know spread out all over, but to a bunch of people who would never buy from me, to right. to just you know anyone who is entertained by this this content, not necessarily the target audience that I'm trying to reach with with this content. And when I look at you know content that is more um, myopically focused on, I know who my audience is, mm-hmm. I know the content they are looking for, and I'm going to create this content. It's not going to generate. 100,000 views, but it is going to generate traffic from the right audience. And yes. then there's a chance to take that next step. Yes. Yeah, no, that's, that's so, that's so pivotal. I mean, everyone wants to go viral, right? Everybody wants something to blow up and have millions of views or millions of clicks. And that's great. If that's a goal for you, I wish you well, because I don't think anybody really knows how to do it. So if that's your goal, I say go for it and just keep making content and and see how it happens. But for me, it is about creating the the perfect blend of quality and quantity. The amount of content that I put out has to be consistent. I have to be doing, and I try to put out something once a week of YouTube. I try to put things on my socials multiple times a week. Because that is how you keep an audience, the audience who's going to be engaged with you. That's how you keep them there. And then you have to have a certain level of quality. And now that's different for everybody, depending on what medium you're in, what platform. But you have to find a level that you can stay consistent with so that people know what to expect when they come to you. If you put out this gorgeous video one week that is professionally um, filmed and edited and it looks amazing. The sound is perfect and beautiful. And then the next week it's you behind a shaky, you know, iPhone camera. People are going to be confused. Your audience isn't going to know what to expect from you. So finding the balance of the quantity and the quality, I think is really what gets you more 
like you said, people who are going to buy from you, people who are really going to engage with you, people who want to work with you outside of just views. Going viral is great. Getting those views is great. But that doesn't mean that a million people, 100,000 people are going to come to you to buy from you. In fact, it probably means maybe a couple more people who wouldn't have necessarily discovered you will discover you. Maybe they'll buy from you, but maybe they won't. So creating something more consistent that an audience who wants to engage with you knows what to expect and they know why they come back every, every day, every week, whenever you put your content out. You brought up something so critically important, which is consistency. Mm. Consistency in the, the production schedule and the release of content, uh, but also consistency in the content itself. Um, I, I'm so focused on creating bingeable content right now. Just honoring how I, as a consumer of content, want to consume content. If I find someone's Instagram, and I see a video or, or a reel that I love, I'm going to go to their Instagram and I'm going to want to find a lot of stuff just like it. And uh -huh. if I do not, I'm out. I'm on to the next thing. Yeah. But if I do, I'm in. And yeah. I'm hooked. And that's that next step in that, excuse me, in that relationship. Like I found this vegan chef and Ooh. just his process of how he creates recipes on his reels. Okay. I go to his page. Oh, he's got like a thousand of these. Yeah, I'm going to follow him. Yeah, and over absolutely. the course of the next six months, I'm consuming this content, consuming this content. So when he drops his book for sale, who's who's or ordering on pre-order right here? Absolutely. Um, same thing with YouTube. I come across a YouTube channel and the content resonates with me. Mm. And I go to that YouTube channel. If I don't find videos that are similar to what I just saw in 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 the approach, in the, in the, in the topics, in the production, I'm out. I'm going to think it's a one-off. I'm going to think it's a mistake. Yeah. And it's an outlier and that the others cannot possibly be as good. So that, that consistency of content is what is going to really help people graft onto your brand, I think. For sure. Well, because then people know what to expect. Like with your vegan chef, you're like, Hey, I want more of this content. When the Super Bowl is coming up, I want to know what he's making for the big game. I want to know when, you know, the holidays come up in several months from now. I want to know what vegan recipes he's going to be making for Thanksgiving, for Christmas, for all of those things. So you know, when you look at his content, this is what he does. So I know I can expect more of this if I follow this person. Yeah, if you go to someone's page and it's a one-off and they have you know, the one amazing vegan recipe and then the rest are videos of him and his dog. You're like, well, I don't care about this guy and his dog. Like, I mean, mm -hmm. unless the dog is really, really cute, but <laughs> you know, you want the consistency of that thing. So, you know, as a, as an audience, as a consumer, you know what to expect from them. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Absolutely. Lexi, this has been an absolutely delightful conversation. Where can listeners go to be able to connect with you, see the work you're doing, and basically stay tuned for, for everything that, that you have coming up? 
Yeah, absolutely. So please find us on our social medias. We are at Phoenix Finds Show, which is P-H-X-F-I-N-D-S Show. So yes, there are two S's right next to each other. And if you find us on YouTube, we are the same. We are Phoenix Finds Show on YouTube. Our website is phoenixfinds.org. That's P-H-X-F-I-N-D-S dot org. Then we're going to make sure all those notes are, or all those links are in the show notes. And Lexi, just want to thank you so much for jumping on. I've, I've wanted to have you on the show for, for quite some time and absolutely did not disappoint. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This was so, so fun. And I'm honored to be here. And I have realized as we've been talking that I need to water my plant. So, uh, because <laughs> this poor guy over here is like so dead. So as we have been talking, I would like, Eek, let me see if I can like move my head and like block this poor sad plant. So he will get some water before the end of the day. And um, it was a great conversation on top. So there you go. I love, I love that you notice what's in the background because literally before we went live, I had to move a few cups that were, that were positioned behind me. That, that is, that's the crux of, of adding in the video element. We're professionals at this. Mind you. Yes, I do video. This is what I do. Yes, I'm so good at it. Obviously, look at my background with my dead plant. (laughs) 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 No, but thank you for having me. This was an honor. Thank you so much for listening to the Beyond the Image podcast. Please follow, like, and review wherever you happen to listen to the show. And if you want to connect to me, you can find me at jamespatrick.com, Instagram at jpatrickphoto, or you can text me any of your marketing questions to 480-605-3254. Thanks again.